One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to a new edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have everybody along. We've got everything all set up. And I've actually got a fantastic guest. It's a repeat guest. It's a, it's a dear friend of mine from the John Maxwell team. And I think she and I both are kind of caged animals right now in the sense that we're used to traveling and visiting with people and inspiring audiences and being on stage and, and now stuck, you know, 50 plus days in our homes. I think we're, we're going a little, I'll be honest, we're just going a little batshit crazy, I think is what we're doing at the end of the day, but uh, but let's bring her on the show. No need to introduce her to the rest of the audience. We've got tons of stuff on her from before, but let's bring Inga Rock on. How you doing, Inga? Hi, Rick. Very well. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. You know, the first time we met, I think you were dancing on stage, at, uh, <laughs> leading, leading the original dance crew for the, for the John Maxwell team. Exactly. But, uh, That's been years ago. <laughs> yeah. W- when did you join the team? Right from the beginning. Uh, so you're a founding member. Yeah, I think the second group. Second group? Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. It's close enough, right? I, I For, lost counting the years, frankly. <laughs> I have to count the coins. You know, when they ask you how many IMCs you've been through, I have to count the coins. I have no idea. Uh, no, anymore, me neither. Many. I was heartbroken when we, uh, when we canceled due to COVID this last piece. Oh, yeah. but, um, but anyway, we're here to discuss, you, you've got a new book, right? How exciting. You've got a new book. Go ahead and tell them what the title is. Yes, the title is Turn Your Life Around. And um, it's been released in Belgium in Dutch, which is my primary language, in last December. And now we're launching the English version. Outstanding. And you're also starting to come stateside a little bit more as well. Talk, talk about yeah, that for a moment. I expect that. Uh, well, you know, as everything we did over the last 13 years grew organically. You know, people were just pulling my sleeve and saying, hey, when, I ca- when can I join your team? When can I work with you? When can you help me grow my business, etc." And so we brought people in from the States, from the UK, from Curacao, which is convenient because they also speak Dutch. Nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, from everywhere, actually. And so the team is growing and I'm really looking forward to hop over as soon as we can <laughs> and start doing seminars in the States, yes. Well, yeah, that, that, that's what we're all waiting for. We're kind of ready to jump, ready to go. But talk to me a little bit about this. I mean, when did you know and, and, and what inspired you really to, A, write the book, but what, what's kind of the story of turning your life around? My story uh, started about 15 years ago when my life collapsed. Just, you know, complete turmoil. I lost everything. Lost my marriage, lost my business. <laughs> my self-confidence, um, stayed with 1 million euro of debt, which was crazy. And I remember that one morning, it was very cold, freezing, snow, and there was nothing much to do. And I was thinking, this is this it? Is there something more? So somewhere in my soul, something was stirring, but I had no clue. 
So I came into a bookstore and I found the, the, the legendary book, You Can Heal Your Life <laughs> by Louisa L. Hay. I bought the book and I, I remember I was thinking, well, if this is any good, I will like the fire with it tonight. <laughs> and that was the start. That was the turning point. And now I wrote the book. In Dutch, it is my seventh book. In English, it is my second. Um, but I wrote it because I see so many people being stuck. And wondering, is this it? Or is there something more? And if there's something more, how do I find it? How do I connect with what's truly there for me? So that is the purpose of the book, to bring answers to that and inspire people to move, actually. And I think there's really kind of two levels to that, right? There's the people that are kind of, I'm stuck, but I'm unaware that I'm stuck in, in exactly. a sense, that, right? Or that I'm stuck and I'm aware that I'm stuck, but I don't know what to do to kind of get out of that. Yeah. And so you, you have practical advice for that in, in the book? Absolutely. Yes. We look at different angles. And I, well, every book I write is a self-help book, but also a workbook. I'm a coach. I ask questions, right? So I cannot write a book without asking questions and people and giving people assignments so they can become aware of what they truly want and what is the voice inside of them that is still like locked up. And how they gain more and more clarity, you know, before they make the turn, of course. And yes, there are also people, you know, who have been knocked down like I was 15 years ago. Actually, I knew already for four years that I had to change my life around. But, you know, I was stuck in the comfort zone and afraid to change, afraid, you know, to lose what I had and eventually lost everything. And I realized that that was four years too late. So it doesn't have to be painful. As soon as you come, become aware of it and you realize that, you know, you become emotional, emotional and, and you're not satisfied, but maybe you cannot put your finger on it. That's the time that you start to think. And, and, and yeah, I think there is no way back then. And I think there's you know, something that I'm hearing more and more of, too, is, you know, I, I feel nothing. So it's not, not stuck in unaware. It's not stuck in aware. It's, it's assessing a current relationship and saying that there's literally, I feel nothing in this relationship. There's no emotion whatsoever. It's just kind of going through the motions. Um, so when do people really begin to realize it's time to change? People start to realize, but actually this is a good time. You know, there's yeah. some, positive with COVID-19 is people are stuck. Many people don't have a job, you know, are locked up in their homes, just like I am now for 50, 50 plus days. And a lot of people ask themselves questions because regular life stops. But as soon as, you know, you're most of the time you're in a place by yourself, can be sitting in the restroom, I mean, or, or laying in bath or whatever. And then that little voice comes and says, psst, hey, psst, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Who are you doing this for? You know, these are the, the, the subtle questions that, that come forth and make you think like, okay, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Am I going to stay in this relationship for the rest of my life? Am I, I going to live here for the rest of my life? Because... It's in many areas. It's not only career or business. It can be relationships, can be the place where you live. There's so many elements. And 
even stuck in your own body, it can be like, am I going to live like this for the rest of my life? And it doesn't have to be midlife crisis. I think it has many different levels. But when the, 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 the questions come forth, you better pay attention to it. And, and, and you sit and, and, you know, just let come whatever comes. Allow the voice to come forth. I think that's important. And I think you said it earlier. I think you're right in the sense of with COVID-19, we've cleared out the distractions. And a lot of oh. people are forced. It, uh, one of my favorite sayings is um, activity doesn't equal achievement. Right. We, we can be really busy doing a bunch of stuff that means nothing. And, and when you there's people that convince themselves that they're super happy because they're the ones doing the bake sale and they're taking all the kids to sports and right, they, they're they're immersed in activity to yeah. prove to them. And now that you've stripped all that away, you're yeah. just kind of left with you at the core. So and I think this right. is a yeah, really interesting time. I, I love the fact that you said it's a perfect time to start looking introspectively. I think it's the time where people are starting to realize, oh no, like, what do I do? Like, exactly. who, who am I at the end of the day, right? Yes, because we, we copy paste our, our days. We copy paste the day of today towards tomorrow. And it goes on and on and on. And eventually years pass by and people look back and say, oh my gosh, what did I do for the last five, six, seven, ten 10 years? And now when all stops, you know, and we cannot copy paste our life. Like, you know, we, we are creatures of habit. When habits stop, we get challenged. And then if the, the regular job is not there and, you know, as you say, taking the kids to sports, etc., everything stops. So now we have the time and the space to think, which is very confronting for many, many people, uh, by the way. But on one hand, I think at least there is a space, there's a void that we can start to fill with something that is way more interesting and way more fulfilling. I think that's important too. And I think the most successful people right now too are actually using this time to set up. Yeah, I, I talk about emergence. That's a big thing. Mm -hmm. we're going to come out of this. We're, we're going to you know, pop out of this COVID cocoon and life is going to get back together. But the people that are planning for emergence now versus just planning, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to stream on Netflix tomorrow? Right. I think okay. those are the people that are really going to have an opportunity to explode coming out of this. Yes, of course, because you see also, for instance, in the stores, people are still numbing themselves with baking cookies and drinking too much and sporting too much, etc., running away from themselves. But then there are people just like you and me, and we take time to evaluate and, and to really ask ourselves, how can we add more value? I think that's a big thing. In my book, I, I speak a lot about ambition and significance. And, you know, our good friend says, once you taste significant, significant success will never be enough. Satisfied, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I, for instance, one of my dear clients is CEO of a very large publicity, publicity company. And he called me last week and he said, I'm not going back. I just wow. can't. I just can't. I, I've been lying to myself. I have four sports cars, but I have no time to drive them. You know, and okay, maybe that, that is one example. And for everybody of us, it, it's going to emerge in, an, in a different way. But I think it's very natural and very healthy when it comes forth. 
You said, you know, people like you and me, but I, I do have to to make a confession. I've been cooking my tail off. I probably gained <laughs> eight pounds on this, but I, I loved to cook and just yeah. never had the time to do it. And now, you know, I've changed some circumstances and I'm cooking every night, man. It's, it's a good time. So maybe not cookies, but we're, we're cooking. Uh, <laughs> speaking of cooking, yeah. we're going to continue it's with Inga <laughs> Yes, exactly. New diets and new recipes. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> but we're going to go ahead and uh, take a quick break here. We'll be right back with Inga Rock. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, visiting with my good friend Inga Rock all the way in Belgium. Thank goodness for Zoom and connection and all of those things that we've been talking about the, her latest book, which is turn your life around, but just in general talking about what Inga does. And, you know, Inga, a lot of people, I'm going to speak for the United States as much as I can, not that I can accompany the whole, you know, 350 million people into my belief, (laughs) but I, I find it very difficult for people to accept or understand that there's not a negative stigma with coaching. Like people think that the, when, when I when I talk to clients and see you about coaching, they go, "Oh, all of my people need that, but mm-hmm. I'm good. Like I I don't yeah. need it. Yeah, I'm I'm awesome. I'm good. I don't need it." And I, I'm wondering what your experience is like that in, in different countries, and then also are there some cultural influences on that? For instance, you know, Puta Vida. We we were talking about that in Costa Rica. 
uh, was, was life-changing for me, but I've never culturally met, again, just consistently, those people were so hungry to hear about leadership, to hear about values, to hear about how they could personally take accountability for growth. And then I came back to the United States and it, I mean, it's almost like, I don't need this. So talk mm -hmm. to me a little bit about why is it so hard for people to change and, and why do they have that negative stigma against coaching? Yeah, you know, coaching started from the world of sports years ago, and that is obvious. We all know that, you know, football players have coaches and runners have coaches, so obvious and it's normal. But once coaching entered into the mainstream, people were afraid because, you know, and, and I know there's also a big cultural difference between America and, and, and Central Europe, where I come from. Like, when I watch movies, everybody has a shrink. You know, that's yeah. so typical, not in Europe, you know, you must be really out of your mind when you need a shrink and for, you know, the US, when we see that in movies and that's all that I can relate to, of course, um, it's like, it's so normal, but you know, we're still like in a niche of the market, I think, the, I believe, I strongly believe, and, and I watch a couple of very influential people around the world in different, in different areas and I believe people are waking up all around the globe now. And I think this COVID-19 period really, you know, empowered that in some way. And I believe that there will never be a time like before COVID-19 and then there will be after COVID-19. I think it's, it's really gonna be a difference. I don't think we go back to normal. I don't think so. So since the world is speeding up, and we only have 24 hours in the day and we all have our minds and we all these impressions, you know, like 10 years ago, we had like 1,000, 1,500 impressions a day. Now we have 15,000. How do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? We see burnout figures going up globally, you know? And, and yes, there are corners in the world where that doesn't count because they don't have the Western culture like we have. But Whenever I travel, and of course I speak in, in Western uh, countries, yes, there are cultural differences, but in general, it's all the same. A lot of stress and a lot of burnouts because we don't have the cope mechanism and the resilient mindset to deal with it. So I believe that, you know, the, the, the paradigms around coaching and the fear around coaching is going to be lifted somehow but i also think it still will need some time but i somehow i think it will become more mainstream uh in general in general now 17 percent of people worldwide and then of course we're talking again us uh i think the big five and europe 17 percent of people are using coaching in some way um do i still see cultural differences sure but it is more in the, you know, in the personality of the people. Like when I come to Poland, <laughs> oh my God, they're so intense. You know, the audience, all the time when I'm speaking, the audience is super quiet until the conference is over. And then they jump around my neck and they kiss me and they hug me and they want 10,000 pictures. And then my clothes need to go to the dry clean because it's full of <laughs> mascara and foundation and lipstick. And, you know, yes, there are, of course, these, these kind of cultural 
uh, differences. I'm married to a Croat, so that counts too. When I come in Croatia, it's the same kind of, you know, the same kind of vibe. But when it comes to personal growth and coaching and personal development, I see, I see the same kind of things happening. And you know, Rick, when I come to the IMC and I'm sitting with people at the table from all over the globe, they all say the same. My country need this, you know, my country need this. And then I smile because I know. And probably every country needs it in a little bit in a different way. But awareness is awareness. You know, I believe that the whole world is waking up. Yeah, I asked this question um, to a guest of mine previously. And the answer was, um, my job's not to convince you you need coaching, mm. it's to inspire you. Oh, and, absolutely. And loved, I love that line. Uh, but it's, it, I think a lot of it comes from fear. Oh, and, yeah. um, so I know that when I really, really started to invest in, in my personal growth journey, I, very similar story in the sense that riding high just, you know, did like 1.9 or 2.1 million in profit for, for the year, my biggest year ever, but I came out depressed, burned out, um, questioning if this was what I was going to do. And I almost lost everything, like literally I had to negotiate, you know, my house and, and that's when I started my personal growth journey. I hit my leadership lid. This is essentially what happened. I hit the lid. I don't think I hit it. I think I crushed through it to where it, yeah, exactly. it, it broke me in all different things. I mean, it was a really hard lid. Uh, and so I started the personal growth journey and I've noticed my relationships changing in, in terms of there's people who refuse to grow and who yeah. don't like the fact that I'm growing. And I think that there's a fear that um, I don't know if it's like stems from like the seventies, you know, the seventies when all the self-help really started to come out and it has kind of a negative connotation that this mm -hmm. self-help almost like, and, and so we're promoting that it's, it's very much self-help, right. But it, it's just, we've got to change and overcome that stigma to get people to understand that. And, and we don't have the answers. Our job is to get the answers out of you. Right. Yeah. Get the oh, answers from within. Yeah, absolutely. You know what, what is really typical, and then I'm speaking for Europe, religions collapsed. Yeah. If you see that, you know, 10 years ago, the whole Catholic church collapsed somehow and people are searching. You know, the inner voice is still there. People are searching for, you know, what's the purpose of life? What am I doing here? And, and also communities. That, that's what I love so much about the, about the States your communities are so strong. And that is something that we Europeans can learn a lot from because we need each other. You know, we need each other. We need to help each other, empower each other because the world is negative enough by itself. If we look at the masses, the masses are still, you know, angry at the world and at themselves. And so these are people that maybe we don't reach right now yet, but somehow I believe that yeah, if we can get beyond the resistance, I think it's, it's a lot of resistance. And of course, resistance is a form of fear. Sure. Once when people, and that's why I do, you know, so many free stuff also, like, like webinars and, 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 and free seminars, because I want to touch people, people's heart. I want to, you know, speak into their souls so they see that there is nothing strange or weird about it. And... You say about the 70s, I think we go 400 years back in the sure. old paradigms. 
we go if we go back to Newtonian physics and Darwinian physics, which is like 200 years ago, we were all raised that the smart, the rich, you know, the powerful, the influential, they can make their life. But ah, if you're not the smartest kid in the class, ah, oh, too bad, you know, you're not gonna make it, you're just gonna be average. And honestly, that's what I thought. I wasn't the best student at school. I was just average. So I thought, well, you know what? My life is going to be average. And that is a huge paradigm, global paradigm, because I hear the same wherever I come. And it comes time that we move to quantum physics instead of Newtonian physics. But in order to move and to make that transition, a lot of paradigms have to fall, have to collapse. And people need tons of education to understand who they are and whose they are, not only from a religious point of view, because I see that people who have faith find a lot of power there and a lot of comfort, which is awesome. But I see so many people here around me without faith. So, you know, they start searching and they start reading. And somehow, you know, they will find uh, the connection to a higher self, to a higher purpose, I'm sure. Yeah, when I first really heard of COVID, well, you know what, I'll just, again, uh, bear it directly to John Maxwell team. When I first came to training, mm -hmm. um, I was super excited to hear from Roddy, super excited, you know, to hear from Paul and of course, of, of John, um, you know, Ed was there at the time. I yeah. felt like going into the session, I was like, I, I'm here because I have to be here with Christian Simpson. Okay. And, and he rocked my world. I mean, he brought me to tears. Oh, and wow. so I think the coaching process is something every leader needs to at least go oh. through, whether they're trying to be coached or not, because that, that, you know, if you give somebody the answer, you rob them of a lifetime of learning. And when Christian hit me with that, everything just kind of crystallized clear to me. And so it was funny, I, I've told Christian this and, and, you know, he's become a dear friend, you know, mm. since he and I were scraping paint together in Costa Rica. But, um, <laughs> but I, it's that I, I went in the, with this mentality that I was going to get the least value. And then I found the most value just because I, I had the bar set so low, you know, what I mean? <laughs> it said so low and Christian's so amazing. Okay. Um, but the juggling thing was just so crystal clear to me of what, and, and I love the fact in, in to, to clue people in, I don't want to give away the exercise, but they ask us to do something in this case, juggling that we, we all regularly don't do. And some of us can do it. Some of us can't, but they have us coach the other person. And what's hilarious is me I, again, I'll speak personally. I could not juggle. And here I am telling this person how to juggle. Like I'm some famous circus clown that knows how to do it. And it, that to me was brilliant. So I'm running up against a break here, but what I want to get into when we come back is that coaching process itself, why we think every leader really needs to go through it. And then how does a person really kind of start to lose some of those paradigms that you were talking about sure. and false beliefs you yeah. know, that they believe in. And I think that's really kind of the key is, is we keep telling ourselves lies and believing them all oh, the time. It's easy so, to uh, we're going to get into that right after the break. We're here with Inga Rock. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance.
at the work-life balance. We like to ask simple questions to our executives and portfolio managers. Are you picking your projects based on what the organization can spend, or is it based on what your resources can realistically achieve? This question, if not answered properly, can cause great strain on your staff, limiting the return on investment. When creating project selection criteria, does your organization attempt to understand the amount of resources needed to complete the work? Is this done in spreadsheets or at a high level? What if we told you there was a simple and easy solution that was built with resource planning in mind? We call it Resource First from PDWare. Resource First was built with resource planning as its foundation. We have years of experience that proves before a company fine-tunes its project and portfolio management processes. Without a process for resource planning, the best processes and algorithms can fall flat. Resources should be first when deciding the strategy of taking an organization forward. Find out more at pdware.com. Put your people first with Resource First from PDWare. Join us at pdware.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the third segment of the Work-Life Balance this Friday afternoon, visiting with my dear friend Inga Rock. First of all, (laughs) Could you have a cooler name to be a coach and to be, I mean, there's so much Inga rocks the house, Inga rocks the world. <laughs> there's just so many things we can do with Inga rock, but um, we, I gave us a really long lead in. And so just to recap, let's get right to the question. What are those false beliefs that you know, really kind of hold us back? And, and what do people, how do they identify and start to work with those false beliefs? Yeah. First of all, it's very easy to believe a lie. All right. You think it's Santa Claus? <laughs> By the way, I I did that line at a graduation, and I turn over, and there's a whole parent section. I had a bunch of like five, six, and seven year olds. They were furious with me. But anyway, know your audience, Rick. Know your audience. Go ahead. Oh yes, exactly. And I know it's it's already eleven thirty p.m. in Belgium, but it's not that late in the U.S. I, I don't think I have any, anybody 13 or younger listening to my show. Okay. So, we're good. so yeah, it's so easy to believe a lie. And the reason why that is, is because we've all been programmed between, and that's scientifically proved now, between the last month of pregnancy and age seven, eight. Because when we, when we are born, you know, we have no cells of recognition. There is no programming. We can just eat and sleep and cry and some other basic stuff, Um, but that's it. So everything needs to be learned. Think of language. 
you know, how hard it is to learn how to speak, to walk, to eat properly, dress yourself, whatever. So these, four, uh, these first seven, eight years are very crucial because the child gets completely programmed. And so did we, you know, we become our environment. So I spoke Dutch and I had to learn English later on. I had to learn French, I had to learn German. And it was hard because now you have to do it consciously. When you learn something subconsciously, which is in the first seven, eight years of your life, it goes naturally. You know, you don't have to think about it. Now, the rub is here. Once programmed, it stays there. And most adults don't grow beyond 35 years old. They just remain the same person, and they copy-paste their, their daily life over and over and over again. So since the activity of the subconscious mind is 40,000 times bigger than the conscious mind, you can imagine what a storehouse that is sure. of, you know, limiting beliefs, but also habits. You know, every meal that you ate, every face that you saw, every word that you spoke, every place that you visited, it's in your subconscious. If I ask you, think back of last vacation, last summer, up, there we are. It's so easy, you know, to get into the subconscious mind and pop up some ideas, but changing the belief system is hard work because it is still in the subconscious mind. And that's where coaching comes into place because a coach asks you the questions that you cannot ask yourself. And the first time I heard that from Christians, Rick, I was mesmerized myself, like, what do you mean? I can ask questions to myself. No, you can't, because when you're in the frame, you don't see the picture. And I couldn't see my own picture. So it is so easy to fight for what we believe, but it's not always the best thing for us, what we believe. And when those beliefs then become challenged, right? You, you have that natural reaction to defend them. Oh, so What's, what is a, a technique that you use or how do you start to get people to identify what those false beliefs are, but then how to start reprogramming how they feel about that belief? Yeah, there are a few techniques that I use. The first thing I use is a self-coaching model. In my programs, people go first to self-coaching and then they can move on to coaching. Because I, I strongly believe that if you can coach yourself, you know, you become more aware, you become stronger, and you can, you have more to give to other people than if you only learn the technique to coach other people. And I changed that over the years, honestly, um, because I saw the power. And you know what, too, Rick, very funny? I never had a coach. Yeah. <laughs> from the very first, because, you know, I go for, from before the time of the GMT, you know, um, I never had a coach. When I got my certification, came back in the tin can to Belgium, and I started to map out my thoughts, my feelings, my habits, my behavior, my circumstances, my results, my situations, my problems. And I made my own self-coaching model where I learned now people to do that for themselves, where they map out everything they feel, they think, you know, they, they experience the whole mambo jumbo. The problem is when you experience life, it is, it's just a maze. It's a maze of thoughts. It's a maze of feelings. It is, you know, everything's connected, especially with women. 
it's very complicated because we talk and we talk and we talk to get clarity in the maze and then and then men react differently but the bottom line is we need to understand how we operate so that is one thing and the second thing is meditation i you know i was the girl that said nope i'm not gonna do I'm not going to sit on my ass and close my eyes, you know, for an hour and sing home. I'm not going to do that. And there's a form of resistance, right? Yep. I was so resistant to meditation because like, you know, the, the best uh, excuse was, no, I have too much energy for that. Mm. I cannot sit still. Oh my gosh, what a limiting belief. And then I started five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. So once you can go beyond the analytical mind. And the analytical mind is actually the layer between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. So once you get beyond the analytical mind, what you do in meditation, you get access to the subconscious mind. And that is where you change those beliefs. So first of all, I use the self-coaching model so people can become aware of what they want to change about themselves. And then of course we extract that then we go into the meditation and we change it in the subconscious mind, but we do it ourselves, right? In the meditation, I can change my subconscious mind. Does it mean that everything changes over the night? No, but you know what happens? You become aware of it. When that limiting belief pops up the, the next day, during the day, somehow, it's like you meet an old friend and then you say, I know you, yeah. <laughs> I've seen you before, not this time. I'm not going to give you any attention. And then, you know, the neurological wires in our brain prune away because we don't give it attention anymore. And that is how you change the limiting beliefs. And it's hard. It, it takes, it takes, um, it's the power of will, right? The, the, the willpower to continue to, to focus. You know, one of the, the, things that you just said, which I found really interesting is that you didn't have a coach. And I, I was the same way. I remember going into a, a coaching session that was like prepaid by some program that I was doing. I was like, this is going to be dumb. And then <laughs> one session with a guy, he was amazing. He's amazing. And so what I, what I tell people now, when they, when they ask me about coaching or how to find coaches, that kind of stuff, I said, you ask one question. So what's mm -hmm. that? So ask who their coach is. Oh, because if you believe in the process, then you're going to go get a coach. So you exactly. didn't have a coach, but you have one now. I'm going to, I'm going to oh, guess. You, have, oh yeah. How many do you have now? Two. You have two? I have, yeah, two. I have three. I have one for business, one for personal. There it is. Yep. Yeah. And I have different phases, same thing, but one's financial, one's yeah. personal, one's professional. Yep. Exactly. But yeah. uh, I think it's a great question to ask because if they go, what do you mean? Well, who's coaching you? Because if you truly understand the process of coaching, then that doesn't, once you become a coach, doesn't mean you don't need one. You know, really Rick, interesting. you know what it just occurs to me? I believe that people who get a coach value themselves enough to evolve quickly because yeah. they understand they have no time to lose and, and they want to grow to the next level because they have more to give and, more, you know, you have more value to, to put out there in the world. So coaching is the shortcut. I mean, it why really would is, you stay yeah. and wait until the light goes, the light bulb goes off? I mean, no, when I get stuck, one text, <laughs> yeah. help, I'm stuck. Get me out of here. 
<laughs> and, and, and that is what I love so much, you know. So how do people then figure out what's possible for them, right? It, we start talking about we want something more, we want something better, we want to grow. They, maybe they've started to mess around a little bit and start to, to create this new awareness. How yeah. do they determine what really is possible for them in the long run? Yeah, so first of all, there's an overall definition that is when you become aware of an idea, a concept, a wish, a want, a dream, and it feels good, it means you can do it, okay? So people always ask me, yeah, but what if tomorrow I want to be a prima ballerina? And, you know, I'm in my late 50s, and I'm thinking, why would you get that idea? Right. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. Now, I give my audience always a couple of exercises that they can do to become more and more aware of what they really want. Because 80% of the audience says, I don't know what I want. I really don't know what I want. And, you know, again, that's a limiting belief. First of all, people are not aware of what they want. The subconscious mind knows already. But it's somewhere, you know, somewhere in the layers. So a couple of things that you can do is, first of all, go back to your childhood. What did you love so much? Did you like to climb trees, dance on the tables, make tents in the woods? Uh, who were you as a kid? Go and explore that and see what's in there, okay? Write it down in a notebook and start journaling and collecting ideas from the past. Uh, ask your brothers, your sisters, um, maybe your parents still around. So you can become more and more aware of who you really were as a kid because you were closer to source when you were young, right? I love to, to play catwalks. I love to sing, to dance. Uh, I made those tents <laughs> and climbed the trees. <laughs> and I love to sell. I love to sell, you know, the tombola tickets for school and stuff like that. And then the second thing you can do is connect the dots. And you know the legendary Stanford University speech of Steve Jobs, yep. where he says, it's only when I connected the dots in my life that you know a pattern became clear and I understood who I was. And those dots are landmarks, you know, times in our life that define us, good or bad. You know, turning points that made us challenge and we outgrew them, like he's giving the example of his own when he got fired for, for Apple. And also, you know, the beautiful turning points, the, the accomplishments, the successes. And I don't know if you remember when I was a kid, you know, we had these drawing cards with numbers, one, two, three, yep. And we had to go from number one, number two, number three, number four. And then all of a sudden we had Mickey Mouse, <laughs> you know? And that is that exercise. When you go back and you look at the major turning points in your life and you start connecting those dots, you see a pattern that, talk, that, you know, that tells a lot of, of information about who you are and what's in your personality. And I always say, you know, your biggest talent and your biggest power is on the other side of your biggest pain and, and your, your biggest setback. And when you say that, people go like, oh, wow, yeah, I had some, some kicks in the butt, you know, I yeah. had some turning points. And now I can look at it in a different way. And I think that's really very powerful. 
I think so too. And I, I think it's a good place for us to stop right here. We're going to come back with one more segment with Inga Ruck, where we'll ask the question we ask all of our guests. And for her, we're going to go back and check what her first answer was at some point. But uh, we'll do that right after the break. You're listening to Rick Morris and the Work-Life Balance. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the final segment of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. And Inga, how can people get in touch with you? How do they you know, find you on the web? How do they get a hold of you? Well, it's very easy. My website is ingerock.com. That's I-N-G-E-R-O-C-K.com. But, Rick, I have a present for everyone. Nice. I would love to give a copy of my book in e-version to um, all the participants today. And they can go to ingerockbook.com and they can have their free copy. Nice. Well, thank you very much. I think that's a first. I don't think, uh, I don't think we've had it to where somebody's given a, a gift to everybody in the audience. So, Yay! Uh, <laughs> My pleasure. Excited. We appreciate that. So uh, what's some of the best advice you've ever received? Yes. Uh, the first thing that probably tends, you know, so many, you know. Sure over the, the years, but the first one that comes to my mind is lick your wounds, count your blessings, move on. Nice. That was so powerful when, you know, when my life collapsed and I found my way into personal growth and development. And then Paul became, of course, my first mentor. 
And we were talking one day in West Palm Beach and, you know, about the things that were still accurate in my life. I mean, I made a transition, but, you know, it was still massive. It was complete turmoil. And he said, lick your wounds, count your blessings, move on. Like, this is not the last one. You are going to have more problems, more setbacks, but you are going to grow stronger. And this, you know, the faster you can move through the turn, you know, the easier you can find your way back. And I will never forget that. And then later on, I think five years later, I had a huge problem with a, with a business partner. And I remember me sitting on the stairs close to, to my room uh, with Paul Martinelli on the phone. And he said, you know, remember girl, lick your, lick your wounds, count your blessings, move on. And I said, yeah, no, just give me one more day. <laughs> Can I just lick a little longer? That's all I want, just one more. One day marinating drama and then I'll do it. I'll do it, buddy, but just give me, sometimes we need time to digest, you know? But I think that is, that's priceless, yeah. I think that's probably one of the biggest things over my last five years of growth is the awareness of my seasons. Mm. And so, you know, the, if you look at me six, seven years ago, if I was trying to write the book or if I was trying to do something creative and I wasn't in a creative mood, I'd force it. Oh, and yeah. So then, I'd, you know, something that should take me an hour would take three hours and I'd end up throwing it all away anyway and, and redoing. So just embracing the season. And there's oh, days yeah. where I just, I'm just not there. And, and, no. I'm, and, you know, and that lick your wounds, I love it because I'm like, all right, well, today's going to suck and I'm just going to ride the suck meter all the way. And then tomorrow, it's a new day. I'll be fresher. Off we go. Law of rhythm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up today? Well, I'd love to encourage people, you know, and say we all have our turns in life. And, you know, the title of the book is not by coincidence, turn your life around. I'm not going to say that everybody has to turn their life around. You're happy and everything's going great. Right on, keep on going. Um, but I think the major uh, advice is listen to your heart. You know, we always think that the mind is the strongest power and it is the, by, by far the strongest creative power, but it is the heart that is the best GPS. You know, so first always listen to your heart. And I know that is not the easiest part to do, um, I teach my audience, by the way, for all the people who are going to get the download of the book, in, in the end page are three meditations. And the first meditation is brain and heart coherence exercise, just six minutes to start with, to, you know, um, to make the bridge between the brain and the heart and to open the heart again. Because we've, be we've become thinkers. You know, a lot, of, a lot of titles is think and, think and. And I also wrote, wrote books that start with think and. And there's a lot of power there. But don't forget that we are heart-centered people and that we need to move to a time where we can, you know, make the, connect, the heart connection again and, and, and create an, an environment. That's why I love our community so much, where it's safe to open your heart. Because then, of course, you you reconnect with source, you reconnect with the grand overall designer. And that is just, that is what life is all about. And all the hints that you get from there and all the feelings, 
just priceless. Grow beyond the struggle, grow beyond force or survival like you just said, and learn to trust again from the heart. I think that's the biggest advice I can give. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. I think it's something, um, I'm a feeler. I do a lot of things by my gut feel, which is mm. me following the heart, right? It, somebody, well, how do you know that's going to work? I don't. <laughs> and I'll figure, I'll let the market decide. But right now that feels good. That's what we want to do. Um, and so, you know, people will get frustrated with me because they'll give me ideas. They go, what do you think? And I go, I think it's a great idea. No, you always say that because it's your idea. <laughs> let, let the market prove you wrong. Don't let me prove you. Like, I'm not going to be the one to tell you that. Yeah, I'm not going to prove you wrong. Let follow your heart. If, if that's the, Absolutely. I love what you said in the earlier segment too. I mean, that idea is that divine inspiration. It's, it, it's basically when, when you, people believe in different things, we'll say grand overall designer, but that's when they're answering back. Right. Yeah. Right. That's so you're, you're praying, giving a wish that idea that comes to your subconscious and all of a sudden in your brain is the answer. That's yes. we'll say that that person spoke to me. That's what they're talking about. Yeah, um, I love the Alfred Adler quote where he says, I'm grateful for the idea that has used me. Yeah, I love that. That's the other way around. I love yeah. I think one of my favorites, though, is Roddy, where he's, he's the person's praying for the parking space. Please, God, let me find the <laughs> parking space. Please. Uh, never mind, God, I got one. Thanks. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> moves quickly. When you get out of the way, it moves quickly. <laughs> I had a uh, big realization moment. You were talking about... Uh, um, a midlife crisis, so you could kind of call it mine. But um, I, I bought a, a very expensive car for, for one of the first times. But it was because it was on my dream board for 25 years. Wow! I, I put a picture of this car on my dream board when I mean I was like waiting tables. There's no way I could I couldn't afford a car at that point. My last that car, and made the realization it was like last year. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm doing it. It's been there. The energy's been there. It's time to to pull the trigger, and I'm happy I did. But um, uh, but I think that that's when we when you were talking about what possible. I think it may not be possible today. Doesn't oh. mean it's not going to. Took me twenty five years to realize oh, that dream yeah. and even realize that I could I could close on that. But the point being is, I if I wasn't aiming for anything, I would have never gotten that satisfaction in the first place. Oh, absolutely! And we have to grow into the person who is worthy of that dream. So it takes time, you know, the law of gestation and incubation is there. And, you know, the, the only reason why we need dreams is to grow into them and then to create a new dream <laughs> because that's what well, life is all about. Inga, thank you so much for taking the time and, and coming oh, back on with us again. And, and you're right. always welcome on the show. Thank you so much. It, it was really great honor to be here. Thank you so much, Rick. And uh, have a really great day to all people you as well and next week we're going to have david stackleather on david is an, an agilist like me and uh when i was reading his bio and, and what he's about he and i have some of the very same beliefs about organizations and companies that are using these buzzwords and fads thinking that they're new ideas and uh he actually has a similar background to mine in being a project turnaround specialist so i'm super excited to have him on we'll have him on next week that's david stackleather that's going to be the uh uh, May 8th show and we've got tons of guests. We're actually booked with guests all the way till the end of July now. So we've got a ton of good stuff coming your way here on the Work-Life Balance. We hope you continue to join in every Friday with us and until next week, we hope 
You live your own work-life balance. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.